made a negative post about us. Well, that's not suffering. That's not suffering at all. There are many Christians who have died simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Standing up for the gospel. That's suffering. Someone saying that something about you is, is, is not at all suffering. I remember years ago, how many, when I was growing up, there was a professional wrestler called Jesse the Body Ventura. How many of you remember that? Yeah. Some of you guys remember that. Girls do too, yeah. Well, then he decided to get into politics and he called himself Jesse the Mind. How many of you remember that? And he was governor. He made this statement about Christians that we were weak and that we needed Christ because we were weak. And all the Christians got all upset. But you know what? He was right. I will readily admit it, as did the Apostle Paul, that I am weak and I need him. That's the point of Christianity. We are weak and we need him. And everybody was bent out of shape because he was speaking about Christianity. We ought to just told him the truth. Hey, the, the Apostle Paul said, in my weakness... I, I accept your strength. I am made strong in your strength in my weakness. And so this has been exacerbated by the rise of internet and social media. There have been very public fall failures, I should say, of prominent Christian leaders throughout the years. And used to, if you wanted to gossip, you had to get on and dial but now with the touch of a button you can send gossip out anywhere all over the place with one touch of the button and the rise of internet and social media has made these fallings more public and more paraded you add that with the skepticism of the world they like to point to these failures and say see there's nothing with this Christianity there's nothing different about them and us the world says and they like to generalize Christianity based on them. And then all the while you come into the churches and the churches are arguing over dress, they're arguing over music, they're arguing over this, that, and the other. It really matters to nothing. And all we're doing is giving them fuel for their fire. Many unbelievers don't get to see the real church in its power. Because the real church doesn't do it for them to be seen we do it to glorify God. We do it because it's right. And the world would rather focus on those extreme uh, examples rather than the true church. Most of the Christians I know want to live a Christ-honoring life. I mean, we do. Each of us struggles with the flesh. Each of us struggles with our own struggles daily temptations, but deeply rooted in our heart and our soul, we want to honor Christ. You wouldn't be here if you didn't want to honor Christ. You could have stayed home and watched television, enjoyed whatever, rather than listen to me opine for a few minutes. You could have enjoyed your Sunday morning, but you came here because you love Jesus. You come here because you have the desire to honor Christ. And many of us have come to the understanding that we constantly have an enemy warring against us. Now, most people think, as believers, that public enemy number one to the Christian is the devil. Remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it? Many a times, the devil gets the blame when it's really our flesh. And our flesh is really public enemy number one. 
But we've also come to realize that with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be people who live in such a way that we honor Christ with our lives. And I'm not talking about these weird extreme examples like, you know, everybody dressing the same. And I'm not talking about cultish behavior. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit in you, representing Christ with gentleness, meekness, with love, with uh, self-control, these kinds of things. The, the characteristics of Christ is what I'm talking about. Even in a dark world and the world doesn't understand us, we can still live a Christ-honoring life. Peter is switching gears here, and he is telling us this. You can live a Christ-honoring life. Now, beginning here in, in chapter 2, verse 11, and stretching all the way through chapter 4, verse 15, Peter begins to list the duties of Christians while we're here on this earth. We have duties. When I went into basic training, and that guy with that round hat and the no neck, and the shoulders this wide, and the very offensive breath was in my face yelling at me, he was telling me duties that I had to do as a soldier in the United States Army. And Peter is going to lay out some things. Granted, he doesn't do it in the way that they did it. But he lays out some things, and this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a list nonetheless that will help us in this day that we live. So what does Peter tell us? Look at verse 11 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I would say this, the very first thing that you and I need to realize, if we're going to live honorable, Christ-honoring lives in this day that we live, we have to come to the understanding as Christians, as Christians, this world is not our permanent home. I cannot, over I cannot overemphasize this. This is not our permanent home. We are becoming too attached to the world. We're driving our stakes deeper and deeper in this world, and this world is not our home. We don't represent this world. We represent a world that's far beyond the skies. At some point as Christians, we should feel out of place in our land. Guys, there is no regard for human life. And, and, and it, it, this is not political. This has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with human beings. We're racially divided. There's one race, the human race. The Bible says we're from one blood. And we have become an evil generation that does has no regard for life who just kill people for no reason whatsoever we should feel out of place in this violent world that we live in have you ever noticed that the television everything has become drama now the years of who remembers Walter Cronkite I mean, he would just give the news. He didn't, he didn't debate. He didn't give an opinion. He just stated the facts and moved on, and people trusted him. Now they argue over everything. Now they have all these shows leading up to a football game. You can't just watch a football game. You've got to have all the drama that leads up to the football game or a baseball game or something said this on social media or someone said this. You know, people say stupid things all the time. Don't get bogged down by that stuff. We live in a very divisive society. 
And Peter here uses two words to make the point that this world is not our home. You have to remember at the time of this writing, there were newly converted Jews to Christianity and they were dispersed among Gentiles. They were dispersed among unbelievers. They're trying to learn this new Christianity of which goes against everything they'd been taught. Actually, it really fulfilled everything they'd been taught, but they didn't know it. And it's fresh and it's new to them. And they're confused and they're dispersed amongst all these unbelievers. And many of them felt alone and isolated. Have you ever felt alone and isolated in Christianity? Have you ever felt like, I know a lot of people, but I'm really lonely? Has anyone ever felt that? I know a lot of people, but I'm really lonely. They felt that way. So Peter reminds them that they are sojourners and pilgrims. Sojourners, translated in the King James, strangers. I'm using the New King James. It's sojourners. It has the idea, it has the idea of one whose home, who, who lives in a home that's not his home. He lives in a land that's not his land. That's not his homeland. You know, we have been told, according to the scriptures, that we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We live in the United States of America, but we represent our home, which we are citizens, which is heaven. We represent heaven on this earth. And so Peter reminds them, you're sojourners, you're pilgrims, you're just passing through this life. Do you know that every person that lives will die? Hebrews 9.27 tells us, it's appointed unto man once to die, but next to judgment. I watched a show on AI, artificial intelligence. It'll blow your mind. There is a professor, a scientist that thinks that he can actually take all this data, extrapolate all this data from all these different sources through AI, and he can develop a human that will never die. Eating the right things, watching the right things, living the right way and doing all this stuff, and they'll never die. I can tell you that ain't going to work because you just read the Bible and it says it's appointed unto man once to die, the next to judgment, right? I can save you all that billions of dollars of study and let you know that you're going to die. I'm here to be a blessing to you today. You're going to die. And guys, I'm telling you this, man doesn't think about death. You know what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the table of feasts. Why? Because the living take it to heart. When you go to the funeral home, it's good for you. As I was talking the last funeral I preached, I was talking to Dave Flowers and we were just talking about funerals and I was telling him how the older I get, the harder it gets. And he said, believe me, I understand what you're saying. And we were just talking about it, and he said, I'll tell you this. He said, people don't go to funeral homes like they used to. They don't go to funeral homes. Are we that busy? Is something that busy in television or something that we can't go? Because, see, when we go there, it helps us. It reminds us that's going to be me one day, and I take it to heart, and I examine myself and how I am living. Psalm 119.19 says, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. The psalmist, he, he well knew that he did not belong here. I do not belong in this world. Now, don't get me wrong. I love living. Does anybody else love living? You know, I, I enjoy it. I just be honest. I enjoy living. And I want to go to heaven. And I, I want to live on this earth as long as I can and go to heaven. But you know what? While I'm here, I need to remember that this is not my home. I don't need to make decisions like this is my home. I need to make decisions with my permanent home in mind. 
Philippians 3, 20 and 21 tells us, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things Himself to Himself afar off. We're assured of them, embrace them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are glad that you're going to get a new body? That verse just said, everyone that gets out of the morning and your groans are more. You know, you used to wake up and you were spry and ready to go to start the day. Now you get up and your groans are overcoming, overwhelming. This world is not where we belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're here representing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And every generation of the church has had to come to this realization that this place is not our home. When I was in Israel and we stood on the Golden Heights and I looked out over the Sea of Galilee, I saw a beautiful sight that was gorgeous. When I stood on the Mount of Olives and I looked across the valley and I saw those beautiful sights, when I was at Megiddo and all the different sights, I saw these wonderful, beautiful places. But I had to realize that even as beautiful it is, this is not my home. As much as Jesus and God loved that land and as much as he promised it to Abraham... We have a new heavenly home that will descend out of the sky. We're merely sojourners and pilgrims passing through here. And because we don't belong to this world, the world will perhaps become more hostile towards us. What do we do? In the power of the Holy Spirit, we just keep moving toward eternity. Keep moving toward eternity. So the first thing Peter tells us, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims that we remember this is not our home. Number two, that as Christians we should be aware of our flesh. Beware of your flesh. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Peter tells us that we need to be on the lookout for our flesh. Have you ever had a thought and you think, how in the world could I think such a thing? Yeah. Have you ever said something and you think, man, what made me say that? What in the world would make me say that? Funny thing about saying something, once it's out, you can't retract it, right? You can't get it back. Why would he tell us that we need to be aware of our flesh? Because Peter knew that the flesh wars against the soul. The Apostle Paul knew this. It was the Apostle Paul that said, what what I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I hate to do, that's what I do. Who shall deliver me from this body of death, O wretched man that I am. Peter and Paul came to the conclusion that we have to be on guard of our flesh. It, I cringe when I hear a Christian say, I would never do that. I think, oh my goodness, you have just put a target on your back. Your flesh, your flesh is capable of doing things you never dreamed it would do. And it will tempt you. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what the lust of the flesh does? The lust of the flesh works hard to keep you torn up, to keep you self-centered, to keep you seeking after your own things, to keep you distraught, to keep you fussing, fuming, fighting, and always torn up. That's what your flesh does because it's corrupt. 
Do you know that the Bible teaches us that flesh cannot enter into heaven? That's why you got to die. And if you don't die, if you go wait till the rapture, and we go up in the rapture, which is the way I'm wanting to go, because there's a couple of my buddies who don't believe in the rapture, I'm going to say, see, I told you something. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> when we go up in the rapture, the Bible says that you are changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The corrupt will be made incorrupt. The mortal will be made, mortal will be made immortal. You're going to have a new body. As I just read you in Philippians there, you're going to have a new body because flesh cannot enter into the heaven. Do you know what the Bible says about flesh? It says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Flesh never pleases God. It's the Spirit working in you that enables you to please God. So Paul says, I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Listen to this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. What are the works of the flesh? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what flesh is. And isn't it ironic that that is exactly what personifies our world right now? That's exactly what adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelry. And, and listen, the television works to do this. They got the Golden Bachelor coming out now. I was cracked up. One guy said, the funny thing about it is the target audience will be in bed before it comes on. And this one guy lives with all these different women. He dates all these different women to find his true love. Well, that's ridiculous. You know what, that, you know what it's doing? It's subtly, it's subtly telling us that we have that right to be in all these multiplicity of relationships and choose what we want. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, it, we, are, we, are subtly being, we are subtly being brainwashed into believing what the world believes. You know how I feel about the, uh, the Hallmark Channel. Be the dude in the flannel shirt. The guy from the big city always loses. It's the guy in the flannel shirt at home that wins. I've noticed ever since I said that, a bunch of you guys are wearing flannel shirts now. But it's almost like, it's almost like they, they create a desire in your flesh that you're rooting for, for adultery to happen so that they're together because they're truly meant to be together. That's hogwash. You know why? Because they get together and it's not built on Christian principles. It's not built on genuine love principles. It's built on emotion and it doesn't last. It doesn't last. The flesh desires to have you focus on the works of the flesh. Certainly not to honor Jesus Christ. Friends, it's a real battle. Every day of my life, every day of your life, your flesh wants to get you away from Christ. Your flesh will convince you that you read the Bible yesterday. You don't need to read the Bible today. Your flesh will convince you, you don't need to go to church, it's okay. You don't need to serve the Lord, you don't need to do this, that, or the other. It will do that, and it will give you a convincing argument. It's a real battle, this matter between the flesh and the spirit. And I will tell you, the one that you feed the most is the one who will dominate. 
If you feed all this garbage from the world into your life, your flesh is going to dominate the Spirit. But if you sow into your life the good things of God, then the good things of God is going to come out. James 4.1 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come among your desires for pleasure that war in your members? It starts right here. And the flesh turning on your heart. People tell me, well, I think you should follow your heart. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. The Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. There are many ladies who have trusted their heart and it ended in shambles and I just trusted my heart. And I want to say, duh. But I can't. You've got to be compassionate. I'm sorry. Let's not do that anymore. As Christians, we're called to yield to the Spirit, not the flesh. The world operates by the promptings and desires of the flesh, but we walk in the Spirit. Some years ago, I was watching uh, football, and there was a commercial uh, advertising uh, hamburger. And what this had to do with anything, I have no idea with a hamburger, but had a woman that was three-quarters of the way undressed. I don't know how else to say it. And she was all over a car doing all this stuff, and, 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 and I think, no wonder... No wonder we're struggling as a society. It had nothing to do with cheeseburgers. Man, I don't know about you, but I love cheeseburgers. You just put a big picture of a nice cheeseburger on there, and I'm ready to go. Right? I am, after all, a free meal Baptist. Listen, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome the flesh. Who can overcome the flesh? So what does he tell us to do? First of all, he tells us this is not our home. Number two, beware of our flesh. Number three, as Christians, we should strive to live Christ-honoring lives. Guys, listen. When you get up in the morning and you start your day, and I don't know if you work off lists or not, but if you work off a list, how many of you put on the top of your list today, I want to honor Christ? Don't raise your hand. Many of you might do that, and thank God for you that you do that. But do we have that mindset As a Christian, everything we do has the potential to honor Christ or wreck our testimonies. Even in the things that we don't want to do, even in confrontation, we can still honor Christ. We can stand our ground and still honor Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says this, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. This word for Gentiles is not just talking people that are not Jews. It's actually used of unsaved people. If I can use this word correctly, irreligious people. They're nothing. They haven't made up their mind yet. But they're watching you. And they want to know how your conduct is different than the conduct of the world. I've told you illustration after illustration about the restaurants. And I try to jokingly, but I'm trying to plant a seed in your life that when you leave here, you represent Christ. And if your mashed potatoes are cold, eat them anyways. It's not worth dragging that single mother who's trying to make a living through the garden because you, your mashed potatoes are cold. Order something else. Go somewhere else next time. Don't lose your testimony over cold mashed potatoes. Everything we do has an opportunity to honor Jesus with our lives. Jesus didn't say turn the cheek unless it's cold mashed potatoes. 
It's quiet in here, isn't it? I'll tell you, uh, yeah, because we're acting more and more like the world. We want what we want, and we want it now. We are narcissistic. We're self-centered just as much as is the world, that we can't do of ourselves, sacrifice of ourselves, so that we do not wreck our testimony. Everything we do is an opportunity to honor Jesus with our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Many people don't know this about Charles Spurgeon, but Charles Spurgeon was one of my favorite preachers. Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars, and he loved to smoke a good cigar. And uh, there was another preacher in town called Parker, and Parker didn't like that he smoked cigars. And it became kind of a contention between them. And uh, someone said something to C.H. Spurgeon about it, and he said, well, listen, as long as I don't do it in excess... It's okay. And they said, well, what is excess? And Charles Spurgeon said, no more than two or three at a time. (laughs) One day he was walking down the road in the city and he looked in a storefront and there was a big, in big letters on the storefront, we sell the cigars that C.H. Spurgeon smokes. And in that moment, in that moment, The conviction of the Holy Spirit fell upon C.H. Spurgeon. And immediately he stopped smoking cigars. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is, the cigar is not the issue, the testimony is. Someone asked me if I smoke, will will it send me to hell? No, just make you smell like you've been there. This should be the motivation for doing whatever we do. We want to honor Jesus Christ. Not give myself a platform. Not make my name famous. Not to look good amongst other people. No, it's to honor Jesus Christ. I know no one in this room here wants to be a stumbling block. Nobody in here wants to, I'm going out today and become a stumbling block to those who are unbelievers. Nobody wants to do that. But what happens is when we forget that this place is not our home and we forget about the battle of the flesh and we succumb to the flesh, we naturally gravitate to the flesh because we're feeding the flesh. And when we feed the flesh, then we start doing things that causes us to forget that we are supposed to honor Christ. We have to view life as an opportunity, not as an obligation. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever it is, do it for the glory of God. The fourth thing Peter tells us is that as Christians, we must understand that the world will accuse us and abuse us. This is nothing new. It happened to Jesus. It will surely happen to us. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. 1 John three thirteen. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Don't sit around and say, why does the world hate us so badly? Jesus told us the world would hate us. 
And you have to understand that the world will accuse you. You will be accused of being bigoted. You will be accused of being narrow-minded. You will be accused of all that. Just smile and praise the Lord anyways. Just smile. We should expect and be prepared for what Jesus told us, that, that they would abuse us and accuse us of things. They will accuse us of being, not being very tolerant. But the Bible teaches that narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Again, this is an opportunity, especially in the way we act and react towards those who call us evil doers. You know well the world calls us evil because we believe and worship Jesus Christ. There are many religions that no one will say anything about. But you mention the name of Jesus Christ and people get all nervous in the world. They will call you evil because you believe in traditional marriage. They'll call you evil because you believe that all life matters. The elderly person is just as important as the unborn person. And the unborn person is just as important as the middle-aged person. It's, it's life. And again, Peter points us that it should not shock us and surprise us. That we ought to be prepared for it. What shocks and surprises me is that we think, the church thinks that if we, do, we get involved in politics that we can make a difference. I'll tell you what makes a difference. It's the gospel. If we put as much energy in the gospel as we did in politics, we would see people saved. No one has ever changed their mind because I posted something on Facebook and gave my political opinion. Not one. Not one. But you know what? I had a friend message me one time because I had posted something about Scripture and asked me a private message messenger about that Scripture and through a conversation, that person came to faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. What do we do in this world that, that, that hates us and accuses us and abuses us? Drop the garbage and focus on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We focus on Jesus. We focus on Jesus. And you and I will be accused of things, but listen, just focus on Jesus. I remember one time I was talking to someone and I was witnessing to him. They said, well, where did Cain get his wife? And I'm like, we'll talk about that in a minute. And every time I'd say, well, so they asked me these different questions that people would try to use to disprove the Bible. But if you just stay on track with the gospel of Jesus, the gospel will do its work. The gospel will do its work. The fifth thing Peter tells us to do, as Christians we must always remember that we will stand before Jesus Christ for a reward or a loss of reward. I continue in verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they, the ones that speak against you as evildoers, may by your good works which they observe... Observe actually means to behold. In the King James, it means to behold. It means they fix upon it. They watch you. You're watching you. Glorify God in the day of visitation. It's talking in the judgment. Now, I want you to know this. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, your sins have been judged on the cross. Your sins have been judged on the cross. When you died on the cross, your sins were judged on the cross. 
But what happens if I sin now? Well, you confess, you get repentance. If you don't sin, you are judged in your sin. For instance, the person who drank all his life, drank, kept drinking, 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 ends up with cirrhosis of the liver and dies, there's your judgment. But you will not stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat as a believer and say, no. You will stand all that you have done, whether good or bad, you will give, a, you will give an account for it for a reward or a loss of reward. And I've had people tell me this. Well, preacher, that's okay. As long as I get to heaven, I'm all right. Well, let me tell you, that is ridiculous, and that just shows how little you know about the Scriptures. And I don't mean to say that, but I, I meant to say that. Because here's the thing. Show me one person in the Bible that viewed the resurrected Jesus Christ casually. You think when you get to heaven, you're going to worry about Buckeyes being 5-0? and You think when we get to heaven, we're going to worry about anything we worry about on this earth? Our jobs, our careers, all that. You think we're going to worry about any of that before we stand? None of that stuff is going to mean anything. We will be consumed with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the problem is, church, we have glorified ourselves and we've humanized God. And we need to reverse it. Too much of our church is about what I like to sing. Well, we like this kind of style and we like that kind of style. Listen, if you're focused on style, you're missing the point already. And that is an indicator that you don't have your eyes on Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are eternal things. Those things do not pass away. When you burn gold, it only gets more pure. Wood, hay, stubble, straw, third, uh, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now listen to this. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So condemnation, there is now, now, Therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't ever have to worry about where you're going. If you're saved, the only place you can go is to heaven. There's no purgatory. There's no, none of that garbage. You go straight to heaven. So that's not in question. Your works for a reward or a loss of reward. And let me tell you this. When you stand before Jesus and say, Well, Jesus, I just wanted to get here. You will hang your head in shame. You'll hang your head in shame. I'm really not worried with rewards. I just want to make it to heaven. I'll be okay with that. That's foolish. The sheer glory of Jesus when seen face to face will cause a holy terror. And guys, listen to me. This is why, this is why I'm adamant. And I, I can't help it. I've tried. I pray and ask God to help me. But we don't take our worship time serious enough. And the reason we don't is because we're not seeing Jesus and His glory. We're focused on our glory. We're more concerned with what we're doing after church than what God's doing right now in my life. We've become way too casual with Jesus. We act like Jesus is here to give us what we want when we want it. We forget that we have, <coughs> we have died to ourselves. 
And we are no longer the master of our lives. He is Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Lord of our lives. When we get to heaven, all that will matter is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nothing else will matter. Having rewards to cast at the Savior's feet will matter. That's what will matter, not the temporary stuff of this world. Now, I believe there will be some who are ashamed when they stand before Jesus Christ, but you don't have to be ashamed. 1 John 2, 28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Verse First uh, John one or First John four seventeen. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. If you don't want to be ashamed of when you stand before Jesus Christ, let me tell you this: you abide in Him. Abide means to remain, to dwell, to stay in fellowship with Him. That's the way. The way to have confidence is not to be ashamed and not be ashamed of his appearing is to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to cultivate his fruit in our lives. We surrender our will to him and his will and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. According to this passage, when we're filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, our conduct will be honorable among the lost. Now, can I just imagine something? Can I ask you this? Wouldn't it be wonderful to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day? And you're standing there. And over somewhere off was a group of people that ridiculed you for your faith. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's that teacher who tried to convince you that there's no such thing. And you stood your ground and you fought. And you were broken hearted about it. But you stood faithful to the Lord. And at the judgment, because of your good works and because you stood faithful to the Lord, at the visitation of the judgment, they says, they say, hey, we glorify God because of that person believed in you and his or her testimony. That's the picture here. Let me read it to you again. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the unsaved, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. People will know there's something different and powerful about you, and they will glorify God at the judgment on your behalf. Now, we don't do this so that they will glorify God on our behalf. We do it because we love Jesus. That's our motive. I love Jesus. And I will tell you this, the closer I am to Jesus, the more I love about him. The more I realize I need him, not just every day, but every hour of the day, every minute of the day, I need Jesus. And I am coming to the place in my life where I am not, I do not want to be judgmental. I do not want to be anything but other than Jesus wants me to be. I want to be walking with him. I want to be filled with his spirit. I want to be fruitful. Because I know that every day I live, I'm one day closer to standing before him. And I will just tell you this. 
with all that's going on in the world, with the various earthquakes that's happening around the world and all the phenomenon, with the outbreak of pestilences and all these things, and with the attack on Israel, um, I, nobody knows the day nor the hour, but I can tell you this, I'm for sure we're closer than we've ever been to the return of the Lord. And if I believe Jesus is coming back, number one, I'm going to be right with him. I'm going to be right with him. If I believe Jesus is coming back, number two, I want my family to be right with him. And number three, I want my church to be right with him. And number four, I want to take as many people with me as I can. We do not do good works to make ourselves look good. We do good works because we love Jesus and we want to honor and exalt his name. As Christians, we know this world is not our permanent home. But while we're here, we battle our flesh and we battle the world. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live a Christ-honoring life that will glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All we have to do is surrender to Him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present our bodies to Him a living sacrifice. And we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd like to invite you today to come and let me introduce you to Jesus. Come and believe in Him and you can be saved. If you're here and you are saved, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Are you living a Christ-honoring life? I would venture to say that we want to and that we try to. But I would venture to say that each one of us, of us in here could grow in this area. We could grow in this area. The question is, will we surrender to his will? Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank